I don't know how to start. If you've ever thought this to yourself, you're not alone. As a matter of fact, it's one of the first places we all go, our default, if you will, when it comes to trying new ideas and incorporating new approaches to our teaching practice. It's something I often hear when I share an activity at a workshop or I'm sharing different modes of active music making that may feel unfamiliar or uncomfortable to those who have never experienced them, let alone have never taught them to kids. But the answer is simple. It doesn't feel easy, but it is simple. Just start and start with the music making. You're listening to the Anacrusic Podcast, episode number 117, and today's conversation is all about how to start with active music making, not notation. and I've helped music teachers just like you get more intentional in their classrooms through my trainings, curriculum, and tips shared on this podcast. The truth is, teaching music is hard. You have a bunch of kids to teach and not a lot of free time to figure out how. Feeling overwhelmed and frustrated is totally normal. But here's the good news. It only takes a few simple steps to flip the script. And although it may be simple, it's definitely not easy unless you have the right toolkit. So let's start tuning and transforming your music teacher life right now. The actionable steps you need to find the purpose, follow a sequence, and choose joy are right here. This is the Anacrusic Podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to just take a hot minute and make sure that you've, number one, checked out the brand new Anacrusic website and that you've snagged your copy of The Planning Playbook, which is my brand new guide for teaching anything and everything in the music classroom. This guide gives you a complete outline for how I teach all the concepts in my classroom, all while promoting student engagement and independent musicianship. This isn't a prescribed method or something that you can only do in a face-to-face classroom, but instead it's a flexible framework that allows you to be the best teacher musician in any scenario you might find yourself teaching music to children. Children in. To snag your free step-by-step guide complete with examples, head to anacrusic.com slash the planning playbook. Again, that's anacrusic.com slash the planning playbook, or just click the link in the show notes. As is often the case, today's episode of the podcast is inspired by a conversation I had with a colleague who just felt so frustrated. She was talking about how she really wanted to incorporate more musical play and more creativity in her classroom, but she felt like she couldn't do it without the use of notation for her students to follow, like a literal explicit notation on the board for them to start with. And I feel like this is a really, really real thing. As an instrumentalist and a self-proclaimed survivalist by reading, I know what it's like to need that notation as an anchor in my music practice and in the early days of my music teaching. But there's so much more to what we do in our classrooms than identifying, reading, and writing. And I think this is exactly what my colleague was getting at. She knew there was more, but wasn't quite sure how to get at it. Now, let's take a quick pause and contextualize what I'm saying here, because I want to add not a caveat, but a qualifier in this conversation of, quote unquote, we are not all about notation. I 100% absolutely believe it is important that our students are able to identify, read, and write the musical language. Those three key skills are at the core of how I teach, of the development of the learning sequence framework, and they serve as a guidepost for much of my teaching. 
However, it's a small portion of my teaching that is contextualized by what comes before that notation and expanded upon by what comes after notation. That meaning that my kids can rock some notation because they have had experiences with musical conversations and speaking the musical language before they ever learn to identify, read, and write, and can then use it as a tool in later extension activities. But it's what leads to notation and what comes from using it as a tool that we're talking about specifically today. So the question remains, if you feel like you can't teach a thing without using some sort of reading exercise or standing at the whiteboard explaining how to say this rhythm and giving away all the goods for free, then here are some things to consider as you move forward in your teaching. First and foremost, singing, saying, dancing, and playing is your curriculum. These four words, sing, say, dance, play, are most commonly associated with Orf Schulwerk and Orf Schulwerk inspired teaching. And I'm borrowing them today, although I am an Orf Schulwerk trained and inspired educator, because for me, it is simply good teaching. Why? Because all four of these things imply that students are actively making music and experiencing the musical language in an authentically childlike, joyful way. It doesn't say anything about reading. It doesn't say anything about writing, although admittedly, these things could exist with those additions, but it's all about the doing of music. This is the equivalent of Kodai-inspired teachers or other just good teachers saying that the repertoire you choose to include drives your sequence and that the sound material you use in your classroom is your curriculum. And it is important to note that neither of these ideas are exclusive to just these two approaches. But the big takeaway is that whatever your kids are creating or playing or musicking in your music classroom will inherently accomplish your curricular goals if you are choosing those things that you sing, say, dance, and play intentionally. I think that the hang-up happens when we start to examine repertoire for what we can use it for. When we need a good song for fa or tikka or whatever it may be, that's how we get so hyper-focused on that notation piece. Sometimes to the point that we forget about the music making, about the creative doing that can unfold through some organic music making. And by allowing our students the opportunity to do that sing, say, dance, and play prior to including notation, we're allowing them to speak before they read and write. We are creating the aural picture that is absolutely essential to contextualize the symbols that match the sounds. So if you ever feel like you aren't doing anything or you're quote unquote behind in your music classroom, remember your songs, games, and activities and the music game that your students are doing, the stuff that you could take a video recording of that you could play back and see and hear and feel what is happening in the music room, that is your curriculum. The symbols, the reading, the writing, that all comes later. The second thing I want you to think about if you just feel super, super hung up on needing to have notation in order to teach anything in your classroom is to remember you can change by how you were taught. So I am an instrumentalist to my core. I grew up learning music through the piano and largely, or dare I say exclusively, from a quote unquote read and play perspective. It was all about notes and rhythms, finger placement, and although I mostly enjoyed it and felt motivated to keep going, I don't remember having too many instances where I was doing something just for fun. It was all about reading and that was the pathway to musicianship for me because I was fitting into this mold. I was trying so hard to imitate the model that was set forth before me. 
The same is true for the way that I was taught trumpet. I spent my entire life in college and graduate school and taking auditions, working to play these same excerpts the same perfect way with the same interpretation that was standard or correct or whatever other descriptor you want to use that implies zero artistic agency or opinion. And that wasn't because I didn't feel like I could interpret or be musical in my own right, but it was much more about meeting that gold standard and getting a job playing in an orchestra. And this whole idea of reading first is a really hard thing to unlearn. I think particularly if you've come from this standard of needing to read things perfectly and fit into this box and basically just learning to play music based off of Western notation and making sure that we're going to contests and doing all the things right, there's very much this end goal or this product in what you are teaching and creating. And there's not much room for creativity or student voice in that process. Now, luckily for us, there are many ensemble teachers and colleagues that we have who challenge this sort of old guard way of teaching music for a big picture music education philosophy that really takes into account the whole child and more comprehensive musicianship. But the beautiful thing about what we do as elementary or general music educators is that our process is the product. It is not a means to an end, but our lesson segments and the pieces of the puzzle throughout are a product in and of themselves. Okay, so what does this mean? Well, if you are teaching your kids a beautiful folk song by rote while playing a game, you are providing the aural picture they need to internalize those musical elements. They can then take in the language, working on the receptive language before being asked to use their expressive language. If you are using that folk song as a basis for improvisation, you are allowing your students the opportunity to speak different speech patterns and word chains and manipulate rhythms based off of the text in that folk song and giving them the opportunity to speak speak the musical language still without notation. And if you are then tying those experiences to notation, you are giving students the opportunity to contextualize the formal notation with all the experiences you have effectively scaffolded throughout your lessons. The point of this all being, we can teach things differently than the way we were taught. We don't have to rely on notation for students to successfully experience music independently. Instead, we can provide examples for them to imitate so that the musical exploration, the babbling of the musical language is authentic and true to their childlike and playful nature. Now, if this holistic music making approach is new to you and you are used to starting with notation, the biggest thing that you need to remember is to begin with the end in mind. Now, one of the biggest things that I share inside of the sequencing solution with my students is this idea, which is not an an original. It came from the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And he was not talking about it in a music education context, but I think it definitely applies when we think about big picture and setting goals and having this vision for exactly what we want things to look like. And this really applies to every single level of music teaching. It applies to your overall teaching philosophy, thinking what sorts of feelings and knowledge and skills do I want my students to have after being in my music room for X number of years? It applies to our lessons. You know, what is the behavioral objective I want my students and myself to be able to observe and be able to draw conclusions and judgments about throughout this lesson? And it applies to concept planning or the learning sequence framework where we think about what types of music making, what pieces of repertoire, and what particular skills we're going to focus on creating experiences for, for our students to really know that they've got it. 
a lot of this relates directly to how we create our behavioral objectives. You know, that is the musical behaviors we want to be able to observe and therefore assess. But along with that, and maybe more immediately essential, is thinking about how we break down large-scale activities, forms, or units into smaller digestible chunks for both our teaching effectiveness and our students' learning readiness. I think one of the trickiest things about going to a workshop or a conference or somewhere else where you get lots of ideas and activities to try in your own classroom is to consider how exactly that will translate or transfer into your own teaching. I know I, for one, have been incredibly guilty of seeing this really cool thing that incorporates a lot of different modes of active music making, a lot of student independent musicianship like improv and composition, and thinking, oh, that's super fun, I'm totally gonna do that on Monday. And then when I try to do it all at once on Monday, it totally flops. And it's because I get so excited for that end that I have in mind. It's it's because I get so excited because I've seen it happen in this workshop or at this conference session and I know what can happen at the end and I completely try to rush the process without giving students the opportunity to assimilate the experiences and information that they need along the way to complete those musical behaviors. And this is a huge problem. Beginning with the end in mind doesn't only mean having that big picture vision, but it also takes into account how to break down every single little step, every single little scaffold into those digestible chunks that are accessible for you to teach and reteach if need be, and teach a different way, and it's accessible for your students to learn. So that means sitting down and thinking absolutely about that big picture and what really cool things can happen if you get all of these steps in the right order at the right time with the right kids. But you also need to think about what happens immediately before that end product and what happens before that and all the way back to the beginning of the first day that you start working toward that end goal. And notation is not the starting point. That active music making is. And the last thing I want to share today is about just taking action and just trying things out and letting it be messy. Because if you are used to teaching in a notation first classroom, if you are used to being a student in a notation first classroom, this is a big shift. And obviously, this is another podcast where I'm sharing some big picture ideas about how we approach our classrooms and think about teaching in a meaningful way that promotes student musicianship. And I hope that throughout today's episode, you've gotten the big picture idea that the place to start is with that active music making, with the sing, say, dance and play, with the repertoire, with the games and the playing and the babbling conversation of music. Those experiences are what drives us toward notation, and notation is a tool that can further promote our students' understanding of the musical language, a tool that can provide informed exploration as they carry out different musical behaviors that showcase their independent musicianship. But even though we haven't talked about concrete ways to start or specific examples about how to get the ball rolling without notation, I want to leave you with this. Clarity is in the action. There are a million different ways that I could explain how to do the thing, how I know the thing works best and it would all land differently. It would all live differently for every single one of us because we are all different music teachers teaching in different scenarios with different kids and different repertoire and the list of all the differences goes on and on. So the biggest way to start doing this active musicking to change it up from putting notation on the board as a starting place is to just start. And like I mentioned before, the magic is in this process 
process. And it won't be perfect. It will be imperfectly perfect and messy. And you will tune your teaching process into exactly what it needs to be for you and your kids to be active music-making musicians. That's it for this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it gave you some confidence in the fact that if you are making music in your classroom, if you are asking your kids to make decisions and create in a way that allows them to become fluent speakers in the musical language, the notation is icing on the cake. Delicious and essential icing. Thanks for spending this little pocket of your day with me. I know music teachers are super strapped for time, so be sure to check out all the resources on anacoustic.com for today's episode. Don't forget to click subscribe wherever you're listening to today's podcast so you don't miss an episode of TAP. That way, you'll be notified each and every week when a new episode's live. And if you want even more tips and tricks delivered to your inbox, like a little love note from me to you, make sure you sign up for the Anacoustic newsletter and you'll be the first to know all the things. Also, if you are feeling today's episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram and Facebook. And I'd love you forever if you take a hot minute and leave a review. See you next time.